Um, many of you have heard about the executive order or the order that was uh, passed out, handed down by uh, our county judge, Judge Samaniego. And there have been questions. What does that mean for the church? Can the church still meet? Are we still going to meet in person? Obviously, for those of you that are here tonight, you understand that we are still meeting. Um, for those of you that are joining us via live stream or YouTube or any of the other ways, uh, we are still allowed to meet. We are taking the necessary precautions. We're trying to, to be wise in everything that we do. We do ask, uh, you guys have been amazing throughout this time. As somebody has gotten sick or been around somebody who's gotten sick, you've let us know as soon as possible and, and kind of avoided contact until you were able to find out what was going on with your own medical health. And, and we have been blessed. God has definitely protected us, watched over this fellowship. There have been people that have tested positive and some have had severe symptoms, some have had no symptoms and everywhere in between, but no one has caught it actually inside the church in any of the church functions. And so we are very, very thankful to you for that. And we would just ask that you would continue to pray for the congregation and that you would also just prayerfully be wise about what you do and, and how you do that. And so as it relates to the church, we are going to continue to meet all of our regular services. We have our service here on Wednesday night at 7, obviously. We have our Saturday evening service at 5.30, and we have one Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock. Also, our youth and our junior high ministry are still meeting. They meet on Wednesday evenings. They meet on uh, Sunday morning, and then they also have a service on Monday nights. For those of you that didn't know about that, they do get together here on Monday nights, and they meet together um, in the youth room in the back. We've also resumed children's ministry, and we don't have any current plans to stop that. So we are, again, doing our due diligence. We're taking the necessary precautions, and we're doing all of those things to make sure that we take care of everyone and that we're wise in what we do. But we are still meeting. Um, Pastor Charlie has shared many, many times that we feel that it is of the utmost importance that we continue to gather together and we offer the opportunity for us to be able to fellowship together as a body. And so that is our heart's desire and that's something that we plan to continue. So with that, let's go ahead and read Psalm 46 verses 8 through 11 and then we'll pray and then we'll just dive right in tonight. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salah. Heavenly Father, as we gather together tonight to worship you and to study your word, we pray that, that the studying of your word would be a worship of you as well. Father, that we would be completely surrendered unto the leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit, that, that as we study your word tonight, that you would be the one that speaks, Lord, and that we would be willing to listen. I pray that everything that, that I share tonight would be from you, that you would give me your words to speak and not my own, and that, that if there is anything that comes from my lips, Father, that is not what you would have, I pray, Lord, that you would strike it from everyone's hearts and minds, and that it would truly be just the things that you desire to speak and to teach, to encourage, to correct, to challenge, to chastise, whatever it might be, Father, that, that your perfect work and will would be accomplished in and through each and every one of us tonight as we study your word. And so we commit this time unto you, and we ask and pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So things have definitely been interesting in 2020, to say the least. The Lakers and the Dodgers both won a championship in the same year for the first time since 1988. I was eight years old back then. It's been a long time. But unfortunately, that's not the best thing that's happened. And even more so, it's not the worst thing that's happened. We've had all sorts of chaos this year. We've had global tensions, and we've had to worry about China. We've had to worry about Russia. We've had to worry about Iran and Syria. We've had to worry about all of these different things that are taking place. We've had impeachment and acquittal of a sitting U.S. president for the first time since 1992. We've had questions about how much authority should a government have, how much authority do they have, and whether or not they've overreached their authority. We've had questions about how useful or necessary the U.S. Constitution is, and even questions on whether it should be rendered null and void and we should blow the whole thing up and start from scratch. We've had peaceful protests and raucous riots, which have sometimes been the same event. And now we have an election that might not be decided until a week or more after the last ballot was cast or mailed. It might not even be decided by the counting. It might be decided in the courts. And that's not even to mention COVID-19 and all of the things related to that. We still don't know exactly how it started. We can't be certain exactly how it spreads. We haven't found a way to stop it. We have lockdowns, we have quarantines, we have masks, we have the admonition to follow the science. Easter was canceled, as was the 4th of July, and now Thanksgiving is on the chopping block. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's been hard, very hard, for many within our country and even here within our own fellowship. And one of the most challenging words that I have for you tonight is that things may not get any easier anytime soon. And I know that that's... That's not what you would want to hear. That's not something that, that we all jump up and down and get excited about, but that's the reality. And that I truly believe is something that God has called us to, is to operate in reality. We operate in faith, but we operate in reality. And those two things do go hand in hand. We have to recognize the state of everything around us. We walk circumspectly, not as fools, that we redeem the time that we take advantage of the time and we do the things that God has called us to do. And so it's important for us to recognize that there is a very good chance that things will continue to get worse before they get better. But despite that, we cannot lose faith. And we always need to recognize that God is still who he said he is. God has never changed. It's not like we flipped a switch and we went from 2019 to 2020 and somehow God changed and somehow God forgot us and God just went silent. That's not the case. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's still who he said he is. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. 
And so the first thing here is that our conduct has to remain as steady as our faith. Our conduct has to remain as steady as our faith. And the importance is that both of them remain. We can't allow whatever takes place to shift our conduct, to change our character. And we also cannot allow it to shake our faith. We need to recognize and understand that sometimes things happen in a way that is far different than what we would do if we were in control or if we were in charge. I mean, you think about your life. I I think about my life, all of the different things that I wish had gone differently. And many of them, I look back and I recognize, thank God that he knows what he's doing, because if he had let me have my way, how much worse off I would be right now. Even some of the things that I thought were just so horrible, and I can't believe that, that this is the way that, God, you're going to bring me through this, that this is something that you're going to allow in my life, and then looking back and recognizing what a beautiful thing it was to have to go through that time. The encouragement that, that came after that storm, the lessons that were learned in the midst of that storm, and the, the impact that that storm had not just on my life, but on the lives of those closest to me and even some people that I never even knew how much it impacted. Because God is still in control. And so our conduct has to remain steady, as does our faith. The second thing is that the Lord, the Father, is our helper. So why should I be afraid? I mean, we sing about it, we talk about it, we call ourselves Christians, we, we say that he's our Lord and our Savior. What does that mean? That means that we've given our, our entire lives unto him, that he would have his perfect work and will accomplished in us and through us. That's what it means to, to have a Lord, to have a master, if you will, but also that he is our Savior. And he didn't just save us from our sin and then leave us there. He continues to do a saving work in us day by day to continue to save us in many cases from ourselves, from just like we just talked about some of the faulty decisions that we come to, some of the things that we believe in and the way that we think something ought to be. And it's, it's okay to be concerned. You know, there are things that happen in our lives we should be concerned about. A simple example, I'm concerned if I see my son who's four years old, running out into the middle of a parking lot. I'm concerned. There's a difference between being fearful and and just tackling him and, you know, doing all these different things and yelling, hey, you need to be careful. Come back. That's being concerned. There's a difference between being concerned and being afraid. I can also be cautious and be prepared for whatever I think might happen Be prepared for unrest, be prepared for a storm, be prepared for a battle, be prepared for a struggle, be prepared for a failure, and yet still remain unafraid. There's a big difference there. And the fear is something that the Lord talks about in so many different places. Do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, this idea is that we recognize what's going on. We don't live in a fairy tale world. We don't say, okay, well, I'm just going to turn out everything that's going on in the world, or I'm going to tune out everything that's going on in my life or even somebody else's life, and I'm just going to live in this safe, happy little box. There's a song that we sing a lot called Called Me Higher. You have called me higher. You've called me out of this comfort zone, out of this life of ease, and you've called me into this place where I can do your will, where I can be about my father's business. And so we need to recognize 
that the Lord, the Father, is our helper. So why should I be afraid? He says, those who rule over you. And in this passage, it's a reference to the examples of conduct and faith that the leaders of the body of Christ are called to be. It's the example of the leaders in the body of Christ. And that doesn't just mean a pastor or an elder or a deacon. That means those who are strong in the faith, those who have continued to grow in the faith, those that have been set over us, those that have been given to us as examples of conduct and faith, that we would be able to look at that and to be encouraged, to be challenged, to not only be more like them, but more so to be more like Jesus. That those who rule over you, that their conduct, that that would be an example to us. I've shared before that our responsibility is for our character and not for our reputation. And it's a very, very simple thing. And this comes up a lot, even when I'm discussing life just in a general day-to-day basis, is that people always talk. People have an opinion about everything. They have an opinion about your life, my life, their life. They have an opinion about everything. We have an opinion about everything. I mean, think about it. There is not a single thing that takes place around us that we don't have some kind of a a preconceived notion or some kind of judgment or some kind of opinion about. That's just who we are. Now, we try really hard, hopefully, to allow ourselves to get out of the equation and to allow the Spirit to speak to our hearts and that He would lead us and guide us. But so often, we get in the way. The flesh gets in the way. And so our opinion of different people's character is is sometimes not where it should be. But our responsibility is not for our reputation, which is what other people's opinion of your character is. Our responsibility is for our character, our character alone. And none of the other stuff matters because their opinion is is pointless. It's meaningless. What you think of me, it sounds bad, but this is true. What you think of me doesn't matter. And that, that was a, such a freeing thing. There was, for so long in my life, I, it was always about pleasing everybody else. It was making sure that, that I didn't offend people, that I didn't hurt anybody's feelings, that I didn't do all of these other things. And it's not that I totally disregard anybody's feelings anymore, but now I've come to this place of reckoning and, and understanding that I would much rather do what God has called me to do, even if it hurts or offends somebody, than to try to, to soften it, to soften the blow and, and maybe, you know, take a little bit of the edge off of something that God has spoken. It's not worth it. It's never been worth it. Not a single time. And I can honestly look back from personal experience and tell you that I have done it and it was never worth it. It was never worth it. It ruined my, my witness. People say, oh, well, when you say harsh things, it ruins your witness. No, what ruins our witness is when we're wishy-washy. When we flip-flop, when we say that this, we believe in the Word of God, and then we turn around and we say, well, but maybe it means this instead, or, well, I think it's okay, and maybe it was for a different time. When we stop calling the Word of God true as it's written, as it is, that's when bad things happen. That's when our witness is ruined. Because the people that are offended and hurt, when we tell them the hard things, but it's the truth of the Word of God, and we do it in love— When they are going through the most difficult times in their life, who is it that they come back to and ask for prayer? To those that have been faithful to the word of God. Because they know that there's something different about us. And it comes back to that conduct that we need to have this 
conduct, this character, this, this understanding of who we are when nobody else can see us except God, that that is the thing that we have to get right. Everything else starts to fall into place when we worry about doing what God has called us to do and to be the men and women that God has called us to be. The unfortunate thing is that if you're anything like me, we have a lot of work to do on that note. There are so many times in my life that I I was listening to somebody on a podcast the other day. It wasn't even a religious podcast. It was a political podcast. And they were talking about how they, they so resonated. They, they sympathize, they empathize. They, they felt what Paul said when he says, the things that I know I should do, I don't do those. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. And it frustrates me. It frustrates me to no end that I continue to fail, that I continue to, to do things that I shouldn't do, even when I know that I shouldn't be doing, even in that moment when I know, just as I've shared before, that, that with every temptation that the Lord makes a way of escape, if we would just look for it. And that's not for you, that's for me. My life, I am a mess from one day to the next. There are times that, that I have honestly wondered, why? Why would God call me? What is, what is special about me other than the fact that I know so much about how not to blow it because I've blown it so many times in so many different ways? But God has been so abundantly faithful and gracious and merciful. And he continues to draw me closer to him. And that is his heart's desire for all of us, that we would draw closer to him, that we would recognize that it's a constant and continual race, that it's a marathon, that it's not just a a short sprint and it's one sprint to the next, to the next, to the next, that it is a marathon, that we are in this to win this all the way until he calls us home. That is the attitude of a believer. That's what it should be. And it starts with our character. 2020 brought a lot of changes, but as I shared with you before, Jesus didn't change, nor did his work on the cross, and that is what matters above all else, that we would be established in God's grace. That's what he says, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. What is he talking about? He's talking about the salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he writes about it in other places, and he says that that it's not by works. It's by the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Not that we should boast, not that we should look at ourselves and say, we did this, we earned this, but that we would always be able to boast in one thing, and that is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ in all things and above all things, so that we would be established in that grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith, that undeserved favor of God. And when we are able to be established in that grace, in that knowledge, in that understanding, then we are not tossed about with all of the doctrines, with all all of the, the doctrines inside the church, outside the church, with all the political drama one way or the other, with all the follow the science, don't follow the science, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, lockdowns, quarantines, whatever it is, that we're not tossed to and fro, that it doesn't shake our faith and it doesn't shake our belief That there is one thing that needs to happen in this life to unlock everything else. And that is to commit ourselves and our lives to Jesus Christ. Completely and totally. That's where it starts. That's where everything else falls back upon. That is what it means to have a heart that is established by grace. 
But again, things can get worse. Even as we pray that they get better, things can still get worse. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3, it's speaking of Jesus. It says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to him, said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And so these guys, they, they're just like us. You know, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of different people about this, and I truly believe that this is part of who we are. It's part of our human nature. That if we know how something's going to end, for whatever reason, there's some kind of safety and peace in that. You know, we, well, I, I, it's the uncertainty. It's the what ifs. That's what causes so much of the anxiety in my life, at least. And in many cases, I've seen it in others too. It's the what if. When is this going to happen? Like, when is the other shoe going to drop? You know, Murphy's Law, like everything's been going good. So something, something bad is bound to happen. Or the other, the Eeyore syndrome, where it's just like, you know, the rain cloud is always on me. You know, I always have the bad luck. There's always something bad that's going to happen to me. And I know that as soon as something good happens, that, that the bottom's going to drop right out of it, and it's going to be turned into something bad. And it's the uncertainty of how is this going to play out. And these guys were the same. The disciples came to him privately, and they asked him, when are all of these things going to happen? When is the end going to come? When are you going to come and to not only tell us and to, to lead us and to show us, but when are you going to come back in all your power and your glory and your might? When is that going to take place? Because that will ease our hearts so much. And, and it's true. I mean, think about it. If you knew exactly when Jesus was coming back, I mean, how freeing in a sense would that be for us? I mean, how different would our day-to-day -day lives be if we knew tomorrow at noon Jesus was coming back? You know, it, yeah, there would be an urgency to do a lot of things. There would be all of these things that we know don't matter. All of those things would just kind of get flushed by the wayside. But there would be such peace because you wouldn't worry about what the stock market's doing. You wouldn't worry about that next paycheck. You wouldn't worry about that job. You wouldn't worry about the next... House of Representatives or the state senator or the governor or the president or a one world order or anything else, because you would know that tomorrow at noon, I'm not going to be here. I don't have to worry. Right. And yet that's not what Jesus answered for them. They asked him, when is it going to be? When is the end of the age? And Jesus answered in verse four, he said, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. And then he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you're not troubled. See that you're not afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled for all these things must come to pass. And notice what he says right after that. But the end is not yet. Things are going to get bad. Things are going to get very, very bad. And all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he continues in verse seven. He says, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And doesn't that sound like what's taking place right now? These, these are all things that, that if you were just to say, does this sound like 2020? That's it. That is 2020 in a nutshell. 
And he says that all these are the what? The beginning of sorrows. I mean, what a powerful thing that was to, to say. And, and what a, a fearful thing in some ways that, that it must have been to them. They, he says, you know, I know that you're asking about when am I going to come back? When are all these things going to take place? And then he tells them, you know what? Things are going to get worse. And then that, that has to happen. Things have to get worse in order for this to come. But then the end is not yet because then all of these other things are going to happen and it's going to get even worse. And then that's just the beginning of sorrows. That's the beginning of sorrows. And this was the, the encouragement. This was the exhortation that Jesus was giving them as he's answering them. I mean, what a thought. And the natural next question would be, well, what else could there possibly be? You're telling me all of these horrible things. What else could there possibly be? And then he goes on. He says in verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and they will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And isn't that so true? That for us, we think about terrible things that have happened to somebody else. And we think that's, that's awful. That's terrible. We think about awful things that are happening to Christians around the world. And we think that's terrible. It's, it's horrible. And then we go back on our merry way. But then when something happens close to home, when something happens to us, it's like everything is bad. Like this is the end of the world and I can't believe it. Because that's, that's part of who we are. We are selfish creatures. That's why the, the exhortations are to look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others, to esteem others above yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself, because we love ourselves, and that is a foregone conclusion. And that's why all those exhortations sound like that. So when things happen to us, that's when it really, really hits home. And that's when we say, you know what, this is, this is worse. This is the, the that was just the beginning, and now I'm really feeling the sorrows. He says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will be offended. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And there's a time that many have said is coming soon when Christians will be hated by all nations. And to be perfectly honest with you, we are already at a place in global history where this is taking place. According to the statistics, more Christians are killed for their faith than any other religion or people group in the world. I mean, stop and think about that. That as Christians, as, as members of the body of Christ, there are more Christians killed every day for their faith in this world than any other religion or people group. But to us, it's a distant thing because here persecution is, well, are we allowed to meet in person or not? Persecution here is, well, do we have to wear a mask or do we not? Persecution here is so much less than what people are facing around the world. We don't often recognize how bad it is because of the favor that we have been granted to practice our faith in relative ease here in the United States. I mean, you even look at places like California or, or New Mexico for a while there, where they, and they may still be in that place where, where the governor's orders say that you can get together, but when you get together, you, you can't sing. And if you're going to sing, you have to wear a mask and you have to do it in a whisper. 
because we, of all the different things. And people are up in arms. Oh, you know, you can't, you can't infringe upon the rights of the church. If that's the worst persecution that we ever face, I mean, seriously, is it that bad? I'm not saying that we should follow that or not follow it. That's, that's for another time, for another discussion. I'm just saying that there are people that are losing their lives because they're Christians in other parts of the world. That's serious tribulation. There are a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ facing persecution, even to the point of death. And the sad irony in that fact is that the faith of the body of Christ in many of those places blows away the faith of the church in the United States. That is ironic and also convicting. You know, I I remember talking to some missionaries one time uh, that had ministered in China and were consistently going over to China. And one of the things that they, they said is that they were so blessed that missionaries were going into China and that the church in the United States was praying for them, but their prayer was for the church in the United States because they saw that the faith was lacking so much compared to the faith of the Chinese church. Because the church was under such oppression and still to this day is under such oppression And yet the the word of God is going forth and miraculous things are taking place. You look at so many uh, Muslim countries in the Middle East, the same thing is going on. It's just this outpouring of the Holy Spirit where God is working and doing amazing things. And it's the same God doing those amazing works over there that we worship here. I mean, think about that for a second. All of those amazing things that are taking place across the globe, it's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We already studied that. We recognize that. We talk about it all the time. We believe that, I I would hope, because that's what the Word of God says. So he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that also means that he's the same in the United States as he is in China, as he is in Iran, as he is in Russia, as he is wherever across the globe, that it's the same God. It's the same God that is doing works there through those people that wants to do works here through his children here. What's missing? What's lacking? So much of it, I believe, comes back to that faith and that that being built and established upon that grace so that our character in our conduct is unfailing, is without any kind of deviation, that we are rooted and grounded in the word of God and that we are centered upon it, that we stand upon it, that that is our foundation, that is the plumb line, that is the right or wrong, the left or right. What do we do next? that we stand upon the word of God, that we don't infringe upon the word of God. We don't try to make it say something that it doesn't. We don't try to, to appease somebody's feelings. Well, I feel like you're being mean. Well, if God's being mean to you. Then get over it. We have to get out of this place of, of being politically correct. You know, it's the cancel culture. Oh, well, you can't say that because people are going to get offended and they'll stop, they'll stop coming to church. Look, if the word of God is offensive to them, then they've got bigger issues than whether or not they're offended by me. We have to stop with all of that. All of this junk, all of this drama. And then it comes back to every area, every area of our lives. Because the word of God is meant to help us in every area of our lives. We've got to get out of the mindset, the mentality that the world has placed on us that the word of God is only applicable inside the four walls of a church. The word of God, the word of God is applicable everywhere you go. 
If you are a child of God, if you have committed your life to him, that's what it means that you have given your life entirely to him. For him to do as he wills, not for him to do as he wills when you want him to, but for him to do as he wills always, all the time, everywhere, in everything, without fail, without deviation, without fear, without fear of repercussion from man, that we would recognize that and believe that, that we would live that. I mean, that's the the prayer from the church in China. That's the prayer from the church in Iran, is that we would live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being lived out over there. It says that many will be offended. They'll betray one another and hate one another. And isn't that where we find ourselves today? The one thing that I was really, really hoping, there are a lot of things that I was hoping for last night. But one of the biggest ones was that after last night's election was over, that I was going to once again be able to hear from friends who had unfriended me, or otherwise were offended by my political stance. Because maybe, just maybe, now that it's over, we can get past that as being the one defining characteristic of every single American. Not going to happen. Unfortunately, it's just not going to happen. I fear that some of those relationships that I had have been lost permanently, if not irreparably damaged. And because there's now the threat of legal battles and other things on the horizon with the election, we may not even be past the election for several weeks yet. And there has been so much division, even within the body of Christ. I've shared with a couple of different people that that from the time that we did that special Sunday night three-part series over three weeks, we watched videos the first two weeks, and then Pastor Charlie and I got up and we shared, shared our hearts. Didn't try to tell you this is what you have to do. Didn't try to tell you you're not a Christian if you don't do what we say. None of that. There was so much divisiveness, so much anger and animosity, sometimes from places that I was just blown away. It was like one of those things where you're you're prepped and you're ready and you've got the shield and you're, you're taking all the fiery darts and then you get stuck in the back. You're like, where did that come from? That's been the last three weeks. It has not been fun. Yeah, there have been some good things too, and, but, but that has been challenging. That has been very challenging, and it's weighed heavy on my heart. But through all of this, you know what probably burdens the heart of God more than just about anything else? Is what he talks about here. Is that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. The love of many has grown cold in this country. And and I pray that I'm preaching to the choir. I really do. But the love of many has grown cold within this body that we call the body of Christ in the United States. But we are called to endure to the end, to get to the other side, but not just to survive it, but we're called to be responsible in it Responsible for our character, but also responsible to do what? To preach the gospel. In verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You know, I used to, I've been leading worship in one way or another for several years now. 
And I've gone to different worship conferences. I, I've picked the brains of other worship leaders and, and musicians. And, and one of the things that they used to not, it didn't bother me. It was just one of those things like, oh, you're one of those hyper-spiritual people where they would talk about, you know, wouldn't it be great if in the middle of this chorus, come Lord Jesus, come, that Jesus just came back and raptured us all. And I was like, seriously, dude, like you're a little, little hyper-spiritual with that. And yet God has changed my heart so much that, that's, that was my prayer tonight while we were singing that, and it didn't happen, so let's sing it again, and let's hope. Let's hope that right now is the time. Because no man knows the day or the hour, but, but man, if I had a, a choice, now would be such a good time. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That we would preach the gospel. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is the one who saves. It's not Trump or Biden, Democrat, Republican, right, left, liberal, conservative. It's just Jesus. Just Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, verse 1, you guys probably know this by heart. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe the things that I've told you. Believe the things that I'm telling you now. Believe that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was Jesus speaking to them and speaking to us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not about anybody else. It's not about anything else. It's not even about a religion. It's not about Christianity. It is about Jesus Christ. That's where Christianity comes from. Jesus didn't come from Christianity. Christianity, being a Christian, that came from being a believer with Jesus Christ. That's the order. It's not about the religious duties and the religious authority and the religious, all of the, the works. That stuff will take care of itself if we go back to being rooted and grounded, being established in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and being worried about our character, that our character would more reflect Jesus Christ every moment than it did the last if we take care of that, all the rest of it just falls into place. And it doesn't mean that it's easy. We just talked about that. That you see all of this stuff that's going to happen? Not yet. And then there's going to be more. But still, that's just the beginning. And then, and then after all of those things, then the end will come. So we need to be aware of that. We need to walk into this with our eyes wide open. You know, there was a movie, I never saw it, but Eyes Wide Shut. And I think that's the way people walk around sometimes. They're with their eyes wide shut. You know, I, I, as a Christian, I just, you know, no, no, I don't want to hear bad things. Just, just tell me good things. I don't want to hear that the world's going to end. I don't want to hear that things are going badly. Just, you know, when I come to church, just tell me good things. Encourage me. You know, pastor, why do you tell me, tell me these hard things? Isn't that what they told Jesus? Why do you say these hard things? Jesus, why are you so tough on us? 
because he loves us. That's why he's tough on us. My kids ask me the same thing. Why do you make me go to school? Because you need to learn. Why do you make me do my, because you need to learn. Why do you make me read so that you know how? Why do you make me go to bed so that you're rested? There's always a why, 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 why? Because I love you. That would be the, the patent answer. I mean, because that's really what it comes down to. All of those questions that my kids have, why do you make me do this? Because I love you. Why do you make me do it? Because I love you. I try to explain, well, it's because of this and do the logical thing. And as I'm sharing this with you right now, I'm realizing that probably I should just answer because I love you and you need to do it. That would be the easiest way. But that's how we are with God. God, why? God, why? God, why? And the answer that because I love you never seems to be enough for us. But this is a promise to take heart and to be comforted with. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And before that, that I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's a, a great DVD that's out called Before the Wrath, and hopefully we'll be able to show it here maybe on a Sunday night again soon. Awesome, awesome uh, video. Um, I had, you know, been through... The, the Gospels and the rapture and, and all these things and, and had a pretty good understanding. I watched Before the Wrath and it was like just mind blown. I just how much that all of these things that Jesus was telling them reflected the wedding ceremony and just what a beautiful picture it is of a Galilean wedding. And so there's just a, a sidebar, but if you get a chance and you want to want to get to it before us, it's called Before the Wrath. Really, really great. Very, very informative and just helps us to understand even that much more the heart of Jesus, that he wants us to take heart, to be encouraged, to be comforted, and to know that he, he is coming back, that he is coming for us. But this leads us to Psalm 46, where we started tonight. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. That God is our refuge. He's our hiding place. He's our safety in the midst of chaos. Whatever that chaos might be, because 2020, as we already talked about, has been a whole lot of chaos on a whole lot of different levels in a whole lot of different ways. And in the midst of all that chaos, God is our refuge. He's our hiding place. And he is also our strength, which is great because if you are anything like me, our strength runs out rather quickly. You know, even the strongest people, they go through, they get beaten, 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 beaten. And eventually, if you're just trying to do this in your own strength, you just get beat down. It's, it's, just not, it's just not sustainable. We need to have the strength of the Lord. He's also a very present help in times of trouble. And I, I love that, that there was that, that, that extra. He's not just a present help in time of trouble. He's not just a help. He's a present help. And he's not just a present help. He's a very present help. That means that he's not just passively there. He's not just kind of like watching to make sure that nothing really bad happens. It says that he is a very present help in time of trouble. That means he's aggressive and fiercely, forcefully there. 
that he is there. And so he says, well, what do we have to worry about? Even if everything around us was shaken and destroyed, he is still God. So there's nothing to worry about. And he continues in verse four. He says, there's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. And the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So just at the break of dawn, you know, you think about, at least I think about things like from a movie standpoint, because I just, that's the, the generation that I've grown up in. And so I think about, you know, things like Lord of the Rings, you know, it's this darkness and it's the end and we're going to die. We're going to lose. It's over. And then the, the breaking of the dawn, the light shone. And then all of a sudden the, the reinforcements come in. And that is this picture that, that is in my head is that the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted just at the break of dawn, just when you thought there was no other way out that God intervened and God came and he was the very present help in our time of trouble. Nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, but God is still with us. He's our safety and our strength. And then in verse 8, where we started, it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Behold the works of the Lord. Look at the works of the Lord. Recognize the hand of God in your life, around your life. Recognize the greatness of who he is. Recognize the, the what we call small miracles. I mean, it's like, to me, it's like saying small surgery. It's a minor surgery. Anytime that you're going to cut me open, that is not minor. It might be minor for you, but you are cutting me open. That is not minor. It is a surgery. It's a big deal. And it's the same kind of thing here is that these, these works, these, these miracles, there's no such thing as a small miracle. By its very definition, a miracle is a big deal. There are so many miracles in just this room here tonight. So many miracles. And then we look at something and, oh, well, this is... This one's a little bit big. I don't know if God's going to show up. Seriously. God is always there. He's always going to show up. He says, come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. Be still. Just stop. That's what it means. Just stop. Put everything down. Stop thinking about what I would do. Stop thinking about what could happen next. Stop worrying about all the other stuff. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And he repeats that. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. And there's a reason for that because we are so apt to forget that in actual practice. Hey, somebody says, well, don't you know that the Lord is with us? Oh, yeah. Don't you know that God is our refuge and our strength? Oh, yeah. And then five minutes later, oh, God, where are you? And then, hey, don't you know the Lord is with us? Yeah. Don't you know that God is our refuge and our strength? Oh, yeah. And then 10 minutes later, oh, but God, why? That is so us. And God knew it. He knew who he was getting. He knew that we are frail. There's not a single one of us that isn't frail. He knew exactly what he was getting. And there is so much 
to be said about the recurring exhortations. Things that you go through one psalm here, and he ends verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then talk about some stuff, and then come back. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Because we need to be reminded of that. We need to be encouraged with that. To behold the works of the Lord and to be still and know the God whom we serve is still there. And that leads us to the last thing that I want to share with you tonight. And that's getting to the other side. If you would turn to Mark chapter 4, this is where we're going to close it out tonight. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so on the same day, Jesus has just been speaking to them. He's been speaking to the multitudes. He's taught them all of these amazing lessons through parables. He's explained so many things to the disciples. This is not at the beginning. This is a little bit more towards the middle. God is about to do some more amazing things. And and he says, you know what? Let's go to the other side. I remember having a college leader one time that said, you know, that's not in the Bible. And he said, what do you mean? Well, that, that whole idea that if God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, that's not in the Bible. And I, I racked my brain trying to find where, where is that? Where does that come from? And he's right. It's not in there. Not word for word, but neither is the rapture. Neither is the Trinity. Neither is the word Bible. Have you ever thought about that? The word Bible actually isn't in the Bible. There's a lot of things that aren't word for word in the Bible, but the idea remains true that if God brings you to it, then he will bring you through it. God will bring you to the other side. He says, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Not let us go and see what happens. Not let us go and get stuck. Not let us go and end the story here. I've been watching some, some shows with my kids, and they, my son is eight years old, and he's getting to the place where he's starting to critically think. And so it'll get to this really intense part, and he'll be like, why are you guys worried? He's not going to die. It's only the second episode. It's a show. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and that's the way it is with God. Why are you worried? It's only like the second episode. This is a long series. This is a marathon. Why are you worried? It says, let us cross over to the other side. And so when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat. They get all these other boats. And then this great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat. It was already filling. Jesus is asleep during this whole thing. He's asleep. What a sound sleeper. I wish I could sleep that soundly. But Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They had forgotten the fact that Jesus was the one that had led them. Jesus led them into this storm. Stop and think about that. Jesus led them into the storm. So often we want to talk about Jesus, lead me out of the storm. But Jesus led them into the storm. Jesus led them into the storm. Just because Jesus is leading and because we're being obedient does not mean that he always leads us through a life of ease. It also does not mean that Jesus never leads us into storms. We are safe and secure in him always, at all times, 
but we still battle through the difficulties in this life. The storms come regardless. Think about Jonah. Jonah's disobedience led to him getting into a storm, right? Jonah's disobedience, not obeying God, led him into a storm. The disciples' obedience, listening to God, led them into a storm. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. We all go through storms. You're not special. None of us here is so special that we're not going to go through storms. Some of us are special in that we're going to go through bigger storms, but none of us is special that we're never going to go through a storm. But through the whole thing, Jesus slept soundly. And isn't their question the same as ours sometimes? God, don't you care that all of these things are happening? Whether it's to me, whether it's to this body, whether it's to the body of Christ at large, whether it's to, you know, Americans, whether it's to Republicans or Democrats, whether it's to people that are, are suffering from COVID, whether it's people that are suffering from cancer or from AIDS or, or from whatever. God, don't you care? Don't you care that all of these things are happening? Aren't you listening to our prayers? We've been faithful. You told us to pray. You told us to talk to you. You told us to ask you to let our requests be made known to you. And we're doing that. But aren't you listening? And then that that safety and that security of knowing, why haven't you told us how this is going to work out? Why didn't you tell me that this was going to happen? You said, follow me. And I did. And you didn't tell me that this is what it was going to be like. You didn't tell me that I was going to go through this. You didn't tell me that my family was going to go through this. You didn't tell me that my church family was going to go through this. What are you doing, God? Don't you care? Don't you care that we are perishing? And yet Jesus, in verse 39, arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Another translation says, how is it that you still have no faith? Still have no faith. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The power of Jesus' words, peace, be still, calm not only the storm, but the hearts of the disciples. And it reminded me so much of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That same exhortation, that same command is what Jesus was giving to the storm. He said, peace, be still. And it ended, period. It wasn't because Jesus had to do it. It wasn't because if he hadn't stopped the storm that they were going to sink. It was to show them, to show them, to remind them who he is, not who he was, Not who he would be, but who he is. It was for their faith to remind them so that they would see, that they would know, that they would recognize, and that it would constantly be in their heart and in their mind. That's what Paul writes. Let the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because that's where all of that fear is rooted. It's in our heart and in our mind. It's not in reality most of the time. It's in our hearts and in our minds. You know, we, we have to come to this place. But hopefully we do a better job than having to get the, why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Have I not shown you? Have you not seen the things that I've done? Have you not seen who I am? You sing about me. You study about me. You talk to people about me. But do you know who I am? That is the question that I believe God is asking of us. Do you know who I am? Have you stopped? Have you taken the time to be still and know that I am God? To behold the works of my hand? Have we taken the time to be still and know that he is God? Deeper than any other knowledge or understanding, but to know in our heart of hearts, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is who he says he is. That he is God, that he is in complete and total control, and there's not a single thing that takes place in this life or beyond that will ever surprise him. There's not a single thing that he couldn't handle. At the, the, the moment that he spoke it, it could end. I mean, think about that. That's what he was doing. When he would heal, what was one of the things that he said? He said, I didn't... I forgave his sins, but I healed him so that you would know that the Son of Man has the power not only to heal, but also for the forgiveness of sins. That you would recognize he did it for the people to see, to recognize who he is. All the signs and the wonders, that's, that's what it was for. It's not because God needed to prove himself. It's because God wanted us to recognize to be able to have this, this past track record so that we could look back and say, you know what? Things are bad. Things are bad. But things have been worse. And God has done amazing things. You know what? Things are bad. And things are going to get worse. But God has done amazing things. Things are bad. I can't handle this by myself. But you are still God. You are my strength. You are my refuge. You are where I find peace. You are where I find rest. Let not your heart be troubled, nor be afraid. Believe that God is who he says he is. Amen?